is 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. Today my papa is going to talk about step change and he helps climate startups. Welcome to Climate Papa. This is a show about climate change, technology, and parenthood. Welcome to Climate Papa. This is a show about the intersection of climate change, parenthood, and technology. And I'm Ben Eidelson. I'm an investor based in Seattle, and I'm a papa to two kids, an almost six-year-old girl and an almost three-year-old boy. Um, this episode is a bit different than most we've had. As the first episode of the year, I'm going to focus a bit on a personal update. Today, I'm announcing the launch of a new climate venture fund called Step Change. And I thought I would use this week's episode to share the story of the fund. If I'm fully honest, I'm doing this to promote the fund. I want to find prospective investors to join the fund, and I want to meet more startups and founders that we can invest in. I was on the fence about whether or not to put this episode out there, but investing our money, time, and social capital into these startups that I believe are critical to the energy transition and critical to addressing the big elements of our climate crisis, that feels like the best thing I can do right now. That's my toolkit, my hammer, and so I'm going to swing it. So let me start with giving you a little bit of a roadmap of how the episode's going to play out. There's three main parts. In the first part, myself, along with our two venture partners, Anai Shah and Arthur Schwab, are going to talk through the fund, how we got here, why we're working on this, and you'll hear from a few of our fund advisors. And in the second part, you'll meet the founders from our four portfolio companies. They're going to talk all about what they've been building and what they've been looking for in investors. And in the third and final part, You'll hear from a few of our venture collaborators and investors into the fund on why they chose to get involved in Step Change. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm really excited to get this out in the world and feeling grateful for everything to come in 2024. So let's get started with a conversation with our two venture partners, and I and Arthur. Welcome. Yeah, good to be here. Happy New Year to everyone. My name is Anai. Uh, by way of background, I'm a recovering fintech operator coming back to the climate space. Uh, I was the ninth employee at a remittances company called Remitly, did everything from product to run international expansion to uh, growth and marketing, and then spent the last five years on the exec team at Tala, which is a global fintech operating across emerging markets, uh, where I was the GM of GMs running strategy and operations across across all of our countries. Prior to all that, I, I helped build an off-grid solar company called D-Light, and I'm excited to see where this chapter takes us. My name is Arthur. I've been a product operator for almost a decade, and it's ranged from C-stage SaaS startups to Stripe, and currently at Billberry, a product studio and digital agency. And I particularly love the sort of the entrepreneurial speed and creativity you know, form of building from zero to one. And Ben, this is our third time working together. Full disclosure, we're also brothers-in-law, neighbors, so it's a it's a intentionally multi-faceted uh, relationship. The other thing I'll mention, uh, my spouse Tracy and I, we have two kids who are eight and six, and they care deeply about climate and humanity, and constantly challenging me to spend time on things that matter. I am also a fellow climate papa. My wife Sheba and I have uh, a wonderful four-year-old son who's asking lots of questions, and I'm guiding him to the answers that Mother Earth provides us. I am a climate papa as well. 
I have a almost six-year-old daughter and a almost three-year-old son with Arthur's sister, Anna. My background is I actually studied electrical engineering and applied physics in college, but ended up in a 15-year software product career, oscillating between starting my own companies and product roles at big tech companies. My first startup was acquired by Google in 2010, and I went on to lead messaging products and parts of Google Photos. And then my second startup, which Arthur and I worked on together, was acquired by Stripe in 2018, where I went on to lead internal tools and parts of our global payment method strategy there. I'm pretty grateful that across the product career, I was able to work on very consumer mobile social products and these B2B infrastructure developer-facing API products. Looking back, that range now, I feel, gives me a pretty important foundation that I'm, I'm hoping to use when we look at all the things we have to do in climate, which ultimately affect both consumers and businesses of all types and shapes. I think this is a great opportunity for us to just gang up on Ben just ask him all the tough questions that our listeners maybe want to hear answers to. Starting with, why are you doing this? Why are you starting a venture fund? If you think about all the different ways you could spend your time working on this issue that you care deeply about, why is venture that path? When I got bit by the climate bug, I want to say kind of 2019 through 2021, and really got conviction to leave Stripe in 2022 to, to work on climate, I thought maybe I should start or join a nonprofit. Maybe I should go back to school and study material science and chemical engineering and work on something more physical. Ultimately, though, the closer I got to a number of the solutions in the market, I started to learn that a lot of what we have wasn't a science problem anymore. That if I wanted to make an impact this decade, I should use the tools that I have available immediately. It's an all-hands-on-deck situation. And the tools that I have really start to lend themselves to, to a venture fund. It was spending time with founders, figuring out how to help them, realizing that I wanted to help a set of them at once, all working on climate with both the product skills, but also the founder experience that I had been through, also the network of venture relationships that I had, the real experience building and shipping software and hiring teams, that I realized that, well, what is, what is the role in which you help a portfolio of early stage founders? Turns out, that role starts to look a lot like a venture fund. And then what, I just do that myself as an angel investor and the way I've been doing it, Maybe, but then all of a sudden, meeting more and more great people who wanted to hop on that train with me and give me more firepower. And you pretty quickly get to a venture fund of this shape. The size of the fund is pretty unique. I don't spend my time managing people. I spend my time figuring out you know, which of our advisors can plug in to help this company. How can I help them? Can you unpack a little bit for us? What are we investing in? What's the thesis of Step Change? Where do we set our boundaries? And what are we looking for? So I'd say the core thesis is that most emissions categories, we already have solutions, and it's a matter of, can we deploy the solutions faster? In trying to deploy things faster, we think that software-based products and companies are going to be one of, the, one of the largest levers that we have to affect the speed of deployment. And then an ecosystem of tools, financial products, and API layers are going to make a huge difference in pushing consumers, businesses, and all kinds of institutions to actually be able to transition faster. And so we lay this out deeply in the guide that, that we published last summer. I think of it as the spectrum from software that is really design tools and dashboards that really help consumers and businesses understand what they need to do and how to design those systems to API layers that help people actually get data like their utility data out of their home or take actions on devices to financing and new fintech products new marketplaces and an ability to connect contractors to actually do the work, 
and then new software-enabled devices. If you think about some of the leading visible climate companies of today, whether that's Tesla or Nest, you know these are fundamentally software-enabled devices where so much of that product experience is the software experience, even if we think of them as a hardware product. And so that whole spectrum from design tools and dashboards that are pure software products down to really software-powered and enabled devices is an area where where both my background and also kind of the larger step change community has amazing network, amazing experience, and amazing insight into makes for a successful product and how we can support founders. So in my mind, we're really well positioned to help founders anywhere in that spectrum and anywhere from the spectrum of users from consumers to really deep enterprises, right? That's how I think of kind of the box in which we'd invest. And and it's really based on both our ability to to understand and, and diligence, but actually much more impactfully to me is our ability to really meaningfully help the founders with what they're trying to build in the product. When we're talking about software having impact on deploying solutions, what are we talking about? What have you observed the pain points, the problems out there, the bottlenecks where we're looking for the software solution? One great example of this that I think you know is in, in one segment is just looking at single family homes, right? In Seattle alone, we have something like 160,000 to 180,000 single-family homes, each of which has work to do to be grading with net zero. To do that work, it's not just about the homeowner. It's also, you know, the city, the county, the state, and the, and the government has to distribute these incentives to the homeowner. Then we have a bunch of contractors that be not enough of them to actually do this work. New electricians, plumbers, etc. And so when you zoom out, you realize that software has a massive role to play in essentially turning that into an effective factory of decarbonization in order to move faster over the next decade. We need more contractors trained up. We need better ability for consumers to find those contractors. We need the ability for all of those folks to access the incentives and financing. We need to help those people decide what set of upgrades to do. And you know, if you think about this today, like the decision whether or not you should get solar on your roof, whether or not you should change your HVAC system and when you should do that, these are big purchases and big decisions, and I don't think there's a trusted software tool out there. That example in, around just homes starts to apply in a much similar way when you start to look at multifamily apartment buildings. You look at commercial and what small businesses need. You look at transportation, and, and you know cities are trying to increase the adoption of both EVs, but also you know, e-bikes. And you talk to city leaders, and their problem is we have these incentives, and we can't get it out in people's hands. That's like a customer acquisition process of which digital products can and should play a massive role. One of the key differentiators of an early stage fund is being in the center of the ecosystem and ensuring that, that there's the right type of pipeline and deal flow coming towards you. Talk a little bit about how we find the right founders to work with or how they find us and how we support them in this partnership, which goes much beyond writing a check transactionally and much more about a relationship and an ongoing collaboration we have with them. I think one is there are a set of theses that we've developed as we've gone deeper and deeper into the market. So Bayou is an example of this, where after leaving Stripe and and being close to Plaid and financial connections and kind of what that did for the fintech ecosystem, I was shocked to discover how hard it was to just access my own utility data via an API and realize how fundamental that is going to be. And so when we met the right company and the right team working on that of an immediate highlight, 
I also think some of our thoughts around how cities are going to try and decarbonize is an area where we have a number of thesis-driven bets we may make. I think probably the largest set, though, is really network-driven. And I think this is where network isn't just my network or the three of us. It's really the larger advisor network and, frankly, the LP network. And then the third is this, this growing content brand around Climate Papa and the guide that we wrote that you know tens of thousands of people have now read. And I think there's now that visibility that says, hey, this is a thought partner in thinking through these ideas. This then gets to, I think, how we like to work with founders when we meet them. And typically there, what we're doing is not jumping straight into a diligence process. It's actually like just working with them. Like many of them are early in kind of developing their pitch or even getting conviction on the product and the problem they're going after. And so a lot of what we tend to do is workshop that with them, right? And spend time helping them hone that and kind of figure out what it is they're doing. And in those iterations, in those in those reps is where we tend to get our own conviction on, on not just the idea, but also the founder and our, also our ability to be helpful to them. The checks that we're intending to invest are these 100 to 200K collaborative checks. It's not ever going to be the majority of their found funding round. So it's always a bit more of like a specialist skill set around product and go to market around kind of the team we're bringing we're bringing into it. I don't view it as as our job is to meet companies, pick them, and then occasionally send them an email. These are these are companies where we want to sink our product teeth into them and and spend the time together figuring out the hardest questions, right? And then supporting them in whatever way we can along the way. But actually, I think that's a good one though to flip onto both of you. What are you excited to do with these companies? I tend to really lean heavily on relationships. I think there is an unnecessary emotional quotient that you need. It, it's a tough journey to build a company from scratch and take on challenging problems. And it can, it can sometimes be a lonely experience. I think part of that is showing up for folks emotionally, opening up doors, making the right connections, and generously tapping into our network. One of the things that I'm excited about is having this very intentional fund with a highly curated and engaged LP base and advisor base is really an opportunity for me and for us to create outsized impact, really roll up our sleeves and get dirty with the teams because we've all been there in different ways. And we can not only empathize. One thing I've found in, in leading teams is some of the most important work we can do is identifying where there's leverage and then doing everything in our power to unblock the path forward. And so if we can really understand these businesses and help them identify the leverage and then clear the path, that's where you can create a, so much impact to it by accelerating companies' growth. Can you talk a little bit about also the, the folks that you've brought on, surrounded yourself with both LPs and advisors, and how that is similar or different from what you've seen in the industry? As soon as I started kind of waving the climate flag a little bit more publicly, just six or seven months ago, really when I put out the guide to the role of software in climate tech, I started reconnecting with a few people around that. Folks that had these really deep high growth careers in fintech or at Google or leading teams at Meta or Airbnb, and all of them were just intrigued to learn. And some of those people wanted to just spend more and more time. I think that my feelings were not unique. And I was sitting there in 2020, 2021, 2022, struggling with, you know, yes, there's an infinite number of interesting tech problems to build in fintech and now in the, the fun and crazy lands of AI. But I felt the first time I really felt like a real calling to have to work on something. 
And I think that a lot of other folks are looking at the situation the same way and the way that the fund can be a place to channel their energy. And in, in the case of many of our LPs, channel their capital towards the slice of, of it all is, again, I think a unique element of what of what I'm trying to do with it. I want to go back to why venture for a moment. What do you think the role of philanthropy is in climate? And also, is this an altruistic endeavor for you? We need a lot of different nonprofits working on pushing forward policy, pushing forward additional capital. We need a lot of research grants and universities to focus on climate research. That being said, we're missing a bunch of very capitalistic tools in this transition. And so, no, I don't think of venture as the way to do charity. I think of it as very explicitly the way to find and seed the set of ideas where a small team can quickly scale in a way where the scaling of that deployment is climate impact. And it's a capital efficient way to go and experiment and try things, find what works, and then scale up. To me, this is the best way for those sets of experiments and those sets of problems and the ones that really work very well can scale very large very quickly. I mean, that's ultimately what I think venture and startups are designed to do. They're designed to quickly pathfind what works and what doesn't work and then scale very quickly when they do work. This is here to find the companies that through very quick, rapid growth can make, as per our name, a step change impact on climate and do so where there is a capital flywheel, where the, the larger these businesses grow and the faster they grow, the more impact they're having and those things are directly aligned. Given that we're going to make this transition, is this a 40-year transition for a lot of this? Is it a 30-year? Is it a 20-year? Is it a 10-year? And I just want to pull that forward as quickly as possible. I know for a fact that 100 years from now, we're not going to be emitting stuff anymore. I'm just like not, I'm not, I'm not like, I just know that that's the case. It's a question of the path there. And it's a question of how quickly that is. And then it's a question of what our kids experience and what we experience still. Like we're smoking the 20 packs a day now. Can we cut down to 15 tomorrow or we can we only cut down to 19? I want to cut down to 15 tomorrow. That's where this slice of venture and the startups that we're working with, I think, are most likely to have the impacts. It's cases where we're ready to do that now. You're structuring the economics of the fund in a bit of a different way. Talk a little bit about, about how you're structuring the fund. Two things. The first is that I thought a lot about what I'm hoping these investments to do, and I'm I'm not particularly interested in taking capital out of this to fund my current life as opposed to really reinvesting that all back into the fund and into these investments. I'm taking the, you know, what is normally the 2% management fees that would that would pay for salary and healthcare and all those things, and taking the majority that is not the, the base expenses and reinvesting it back into the fund as as additional GP commit. And this is because I think we're going to find some generationally defining companies here. So first of all, if there's another couple of those we could do instead of pulling a salary, we should. And second, it would be one of the most foolish investments I could make to, to pull capital out now that is going to be hit with what our downstream multiple is. And this fund is not designed to, to throw off fees as, as part of its economic structure at all. Raising a, a 3 to $5 million fund and that is on, on the smallest end where, where a venture fund can be stood up. And that's, that's, again, by design in terms of how we want to work with companies and the number of companies we want to work with. Ben, do you think it's worth giving a little bit more background on what it means to be an LP and how it works? So we have over 30 LPs ranging from folks that, you know, like, like Bain to a lot of other founders and product builders 
and engineers and designers at companies, many of them not working in climate today, but are interested in, in helping those that are and maybe eventually starting their own or joining climate company downstream. Over a third of those LPs, this is the first fund they've invested in, which to me also speaks to this fund size. It can be a particularly accessible fund in a way where it can be a gateway into venture. And I think give people a kind of portfolio of angel investments where we're going to, over the next 12 to 18 months, find those 20 to 30 companies that we think are making a really big impact in this sphere and then give them give them access to that. But also the opportunity of, hey, I want to roll up my sleeves and help this company find their next engineering hire. Or, hey, I would love to hop on a call and give them feedback on their design of their API, right? Or help them with go-to-market strategy on this particular thing. No one you know, is committing a certain amount of time but I think for a lot of people, that's actually explicitly exciting to them, right? The thing that gives me pessimism is to say climate change is happening. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen even more to my kids and perhaps even worse to my grandkids. And there's nothing I can do about it. I am now more convinced than ever since I started diving into this that that's blatantly untrue, that there's a lot I can do about it. And there's a lot I can do at scale trying to influence things and leverage. And to me, the biggest gift we can give investors into the fund is that same sense, right? That same sense of agency to work on this problem, both put their capital to work on that problem, put us to work on that problem, and to whatever extent they want, put their skill sets, their networks, and resources to work on the problem. It gives people hope, right? To to actually have some tools to pick up and swing on, on this. And the reality is, as we've said earlier in the thesis, like we have a lot of the tools we need. We just have to get them out there faster. So very excited to meet people through this journey already, right? The 30 that have come on board. Excited for all that, that we'll meet over the next coming months as we wrap up the fund. If folks are listening and they're interested and want to reach out, shoot me a note, ben at stepchange.vc and happy to to have a deeper call on any of this then and, and send over some more materials. Thank you, Arthur and I, for running through the fund and asking me all of the tough questions. So in addition to myself and I and Arthur, we also have some amazing advisors. I'm going to start by introducing Steph. Welcome, Steph. I'm so happy to be here. My name is Steph Hannon. I am a product builder, and I've been in Silicon Valley and building tech for about 20 years. And my focus has always been on consumer web products with a social impact or philanthropic or, in my opinion, good for the world aspect. So things I'm really proud of are working on the early days of Google Transit on Google Maps bringing Google Maps to countries all over the world that didn't have mapping infrastructure, especially in Africa and the Middle East. Later, I worked at the Hillary campaign. I took my skills into the election arena and built technology around voter activation, fundraising, educating on issues, all sorts of things around the election. And most recently, I ran the COVID response work at Google, which is called Exposure Notification. What are you most excited about engaging with climate founders on? I'm just so excited for any entrepreneur who wants to turn the their attention to this world crisis. And I think people should be working in this space. And I think if we can use our resources and our experience to help mentor, support, encourage, lift up people who care about this and are working on this, I think it's a really important and noble use of time. I am wildly excited about an investment we made in It's Electric. With you, Ben, I met the founders, Tia and Nathan. And I think what's cool about them is they're innovating on the physical design of the unit. They're innovating on the business model. Because I've worked on maps for a long time. I worked on transit. I care so much about the charging infrastructure as a, as a user. I think this team is just really ambitious and they're thinking about it different and they have proof points. I just think it's cool and exciting to be supporting them. 
Uh, like there's so many things Ben, you and I and this team have done that really I think we can help founders tackle problems faster and iterate faster. I think that's right. And excited for for the years to come working on this stuff with you. So thanks for thanks for jumping in with both feet. Ben, I just want to say, you know, I meet a lot of people doing what you're trying to do, Ben, and I was super fired up to work with you. You're I think you put this in your investment note, but you have relentless optimism. And I think that's so important in this space. And I also think you're a product builder and we are product builders. And I think that you're trying to put together a team of people who've been in the shoes of the founders we want to support and amplify and lift up and help succeed. I think that's a really cool thing. So I just want to say thank you for what you're doing. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. Yeah, thank you so much, Steph. Uh, Now let's hear from Ari Steinberg. My name is Ari Steinberg. I have worked in the tech industry for almost 20 years now at Facebook and at Airbnb. I also ran a startup in between the two of those and wound up selling the startup to Airbnb. I joined Facebook in 2006. So it was around 100 people in the company. And I think there were a few million users. I was there for almost seven years. And then in 2010, I opened Facebook's office in Seattle. So a lot of team growth there and then did a similar thing at Airbnb as well, starting from the ground zero of of the Seattle office and building up the team there. What are the sorts of things that you love working with founders on most often? Anything from engineering and product, fundraising, marketing, figuring out how to scale up the team. There's a whole world of hundreds of startups that I'm sure would value your advice. Why are you choosing to to spend time in particular um, as a step change advisor? To be fair, I don't have a ton of expertise in climate. I am obviously motivated by it for the same reason I think everybody probably is, uh, everybody who's listening is. And you didn't pay me to say this, but uh, having gotten to know you, Ben, I've been really impressed. I feel like there's, um, I kind of trust your judgment. If a company seems interesting to you, then that implicitly suggests that I'm going to be interested in it in some way. So I think a lot of it's just about like, where do they need help? And if it's something where it feels like this conversation is actually legitimately helping them, then it makes it much more fun for me and more useful to them, obviously. So that's the number one thing. And then, you know, there's clearly some mission alignment here. So that's good as well. The marketplace experience you've had at Airbnb and and then the massive kind of end consumer engagement product problems that getting almost every consumer to make a new set of purchases or behavioral changes it requires, I think, that that kind of product and technical scale. I think your input with founders is going to be super well appreciated and, and impactful. I hope so. Thank you. Thanks so much, Ari. Now let's hear from Ian. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Ian Wong, and I was a co-founder and CTO of Open Door. Uh, there, I built the teams, algorithms, and software behind the company. And before that, I was the tech lead for risk and machine learning at Square. What are you uh, most excited for getting involved with the step change? Yeah, I'm really excited to hopefully contribute. And I think one of the best ways to solve this problem is through entrepreneurship. Uh, I was a founder myself, and I really think that big change can be brought forward by really motivated people who are really capable. And so I'm really excited to help the founders achieve that. Could you give like a sentence or two on what Open Door does? Our goal at Open Door is to simplify the most complex transaction that people go through in their lives. Like buying and selling a home is super emotional, is super financially involved. So I really believe if you decrease the friction in moving, more people will be more embracing of risk and change in their lives. I was struck by 
in order to simplify that transaction, you had to take on as a company this like massive iceberg of operational complexity and you know the moving of real atoms. Yeah, and I think this is one area where it might intersect the law of climate um, founders in that I think this next wave of companies, a lot of them will be going deeper in the societal stack, so to speak. A lot of times the most impactful things are where bits and atoms cross over. And certainly at Open Door, we had to deal with a lot of that. Of course, we had to build really great products and tools, but ultimately we're talking about a house, yeah. right? Like it, people live in it, we have to inspect it. And these are all things that make the business really hard to build. But ultimately, if you can really nail both the software and the people piece, then you can create like a beautiful, magical experience for people. When you think about your chance to advise companies and, and meet founders, what kind of in particular are you excited to dig in with, with those founders on? There are a couple things. First of all, there's just the psychological journey of being a founder. Um, you know, I've gone through this journey and it was a nine year journey for me and starting and scaling company. It's pretty grueling to be honest. And so I'd love to be able to just help founders navigate these choppy waters. So that's number one. Number two is I'd love to be a sounding board, especially around data and machine learning or AI. I had a previous degree in statistics and you and I met at Stanford. So like we have a lot of that engineering background. So I'm kind of like a geek and love to be able to like nerd out with other founders uh, on technical problems. And the third aspect is business models. It's important ultimately to create sustainable transformation commercially. So it's not a one trick pony. It's not a thing that is ephemeral and doesn't last. Like we want to be, be able to build durable generational companies as part of the step change portfolio. And so I'd love to be able to help founders think through the commercial side as well. And how do we help use technology and operations to build a sustainable business? Uh, it's been so lovely to like reconnect and work on all this stuff together now on the other side of, I don't know, 15 years since we graduated college together. Yeah, that's right. So thank you, Ian. So in addition to Steph, Ari, and Ian, we have Bradley Horowitz. He's, he was a longtime 15-year VP of product at Google and has been a pretty prolific angel investor, invested in Slack and Miro and a bunch of other great companies. We're now going to hop into the step change investment so far. We've invested in four companies. It's Electric, Bioenergy, Line Build, and Rhizome Data. And so I'm going to have four little mini interviews with each of the founding teams to talk about what they're building. Um, let's start with It's Electric. Welcome, Tia and Nathan. Hi, Ben. I'll start. Um, my name is Tia Gordon, and I am the co-founder of It's Electric. And you're reaching us today in Brooklyn, New York, uh, where It's Electric is headquartered. It's Electric was founded to solve the largest problems that cities face in the deployment of public electric vehicle charging. And I'll pass it over to Nathan. Yes, I'm Nathan King. I'm the other co-founder of It's Electric. I'm an architect, and I've been working in architecture and construction in New York City for the past couple of decades. And so we really think about EV charging as primarily a sort of an urban design and construction logistics problem that needs to be solved in a different way than what the industry has sort of developed so far. I mean, it seems like everyone's getting their EVs. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> you're not going to buy a car and then figure out how you're going to charge it three months into owning it. One year ago, exactly, in January of 2023, the White House said, okay, everyone, we need 600,000 more public electric vehicle chargers. And then in June, they came back out with NREL and they said, actually, it's 1.2 million. And wow. then Bloomberg NEPs came out and said, actually, it's 2 million that you need. So the question is, how do you put out a vast number of electric vehicle chargers in a way that allows for efficiency through speed and through scale. Yeah, we, we estimate there's about 40 million drivers who park their cars 
on city streets across the U.S. Let's jump into how you're going to actually do that. Could you say a little bit about what makes your product necessary and different? Most of the EV chargers out there in the world right now look like a gas pump or like a weird, bad, off-brand Blade Runner version of a gas pump. So basically anything that was unnecessary, we took off of it. There's no touchscreens, there's no keypads, there's no credit card swipes. All these things that are also the major fail points, which is why the American consumer has such a big problem with EV charging right now because they're always broken because there's so many things that are put on them that just break automatically. And the idea that's really at the core of its electric is to have a well-designed charger that plugs into a existing building's electrical supply. As part of that business model, also we offer the host properties a certain amount of revenue from each EV charger as a way to sort of like lease that spare capacity on their electrical panel. We need one to two million of these by 2030. Mm -hmm. And the current pace and the current kind of utility connected setup requires how much time and how much cost per L2 charger? We know time for a factor in a city like New York is 12 to 18 months for an L2 charger. Again, because of that utility connection, right? And so we piloted our technology here in New York City and we were able to install our chargers in two days. And then the entire process was just a question of weeks. So two days, you know, two weeks versus 12 to 18 months. And then, you know, the, the business or consumer whose, whose property that's in front of is now going to make revenue Correct. while people are happily coming in and charging. At a super high level, it's electric, is electric vehicle charging for cities. We're free to cities. So there's no upfront costs for them. We're free to building owners. There's no obligation to them except to receive this passive income, right? And then because of the way that we install, which is behind the meter, going to existing infrastructure, instead of making inner utility connections to those main power lines in those streets, those high voltage power lines in the street, we can deploy with speed and scale. We like to say we can deploy anywhere where there's a building and a curb. And that's exactly what we're setting out to do. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people are living in cities and we need a lot of chargers in cities if we're going to pull this off. Could we switch to talk a little bit around how we met. It's Electric is based in New York, but um, we love LA. So we're out there a lot. Um, we're part of the Los Angeles Clean Tech Incubator. And this one time I had gotten off the stage and there's this really nice guy sitting in the audience where we just start chatting. And he said, I'd love you to meet this guy, Ben. I think that you guys would hit it off. And I said, great, I'd absolutely love that. And then we had a great first conversation but then you vetted me. And normally that's a normal part of the process. And the person that you paired me with uh, was one of your advisors, Stephanie Hannon. And I was really nervous because you read her bio online and you're just like, oh God. Um, she was, you know, basically Hillary Robin Clinton's CTO. And so Stephanie was um, really gracious. And she, I was in LA again for like a day or two. So she said, let's make this in person. I was incredibly nervous. I didn't know if I won her over, but I knew that you did. She was, <laughs> I knew that she was someone that I wanted to be friends with. And I used that term in an adult way, not in a childlike way, to say that in the world that we're building at It's Electric, you meet a lot of different potential investors. And you know right away who you want in your tribe. And she and you were the people that we wanted in our tribe because they're the people that you actually want to have conversations with, that you're comfortable with, that you can really talk through details and product and market and everything else that a founder has to talk about 
um, but in a way that you can be honest. So when I met Stephanie and I knew that, that she was part and parcel of Step Change, it really kind of just hammered it home that, that we wanted to be part of this group. We're lucky to have her and, and lucky to, to have met you when we did. Zooming forward, the goal is like, let's get hundreds of chargers out this year yes. in the cities you have partnerships with, which so far is... Chargers are in the ground in Brooklyn and Detroit, and we have six other cities in the pipeline for yeah. 2024. We are five strong here in New York City. Just made our first hire on the ground in Detroit. We are raising our seed round, um, and we have a lot of other announcements in terms of sponsorships and partnerships, which will also be coming out this year. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Um, I was messaging with Steph when we were kind of in that last, you know, 48 hours of just like making the final decision here. And I, and I ended the message just like, how many chances do you get to replace our gas delivery infrastructure? Yeah. Like, you know, like in, in a fundamental new way, right? Like the economics are changing, the, the hardware is changing, just the whole, the whole design. And she replied like, few. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's go. It's such a massive way that our whole world runs to get to rebuild it with the two of you and the team that you build out is such a, such a gift and opportunity. So well, very excited. I, I really love that statement, Ben. Now you've inspired me to kind of, yeah, even, even bigger energy for 2024 just from that. Thank you, Tia Nathan. And next up, we have James from Bayou Energy. Welcome, James. Yeah, hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. So Bayou is a clean energy software company. And fundamentally what we do is provide an API that lets software engineers get their customers' utility data instantly. Just a bit about me. As the name of the company maybe suggests, I'm born and raised in New Orleans. Started my career in oil and gas for about a year before jumping over to general tech, where I worked at a company called Realware. We made wearable computers and software for industrial workers. So I was an early employee and product person there. Right around when COVID started, I was just looking at what I wanted to do next and very quickly gravitated towards climate and clean energy is the thing for me. And so at Bayou, we're trying to get more people working on the problem and building a true platform that kind of enables anyone to build a clean energy company, starting with utility data access. How did you land on that as the problem? Number one, as we talked to founders, this foundational need for utility data was just really, really fundamental to a lot of other things we explored and wanted to build and they wanted to build on top of it. There's still this gap around a great developer experience and instant data access. One thing that really stuck out to me when, when we first met is around the time I was leaving Stripe and I just saw this immediate parallel to what we'd seen in fintech with banking APIs where we saw Plaid and then eventually Stripe Financial Connections and others really not just be like a product, but really like a, a underlying fundamental infrastructure layer that enables a bunch of downstream things. Like you cannot build a budgeting app if you don't have someone's bank data. You cannot build a really nice money movement experience and onboarding into Venmo or Robinhood or a million different other services if you can't in a couple clicks get a consumer you know, from, one, from point A to point B. And as soon as we look at this whole ecosystem around utility data, uh, we were just kind of back in like 2009 fintech where like there was just no great experience, no great experience for developers, no great experience for consumers. It just needs to be one click. It needs to be simple. And we need good APIs and infrastructure for developers leaving, you know, big tech, Stripe, Plaid, Microsoft, Amazon, you know, you name it. People are pouring into climate and they demand good software infrastructure and so do the customers. Let's talk about some of the use cases. Yeah, and so we think about things in at least kind of three core segments. One is access to clean energy. So we hinted on one, uh, community solar. 
one-click sign up for solar energy as a subscription and save 10% on your utility bill. Um, that could be rooftop solar, it could be other things, but I think that's a really simple subscription example uh, to figure out how much energy a person uses and therefore how much solar they need. The second segment, electrification. So swapping out your appliances and your car uh, with kind of electric equivalents. You need it up front to size things from a sales and marketing perspective, and you need it on an ongoing basis as well. And the third one is what we call energy use optimization. Let's say you have a heat pump or an EV kind of sitting around and great, it's saving you money and it's it's a better solution and you're very comfortable. What you could do is charge that EV when times are cheaper and not when they're so expensive, like when you get home and you could save more money on your utility bill and further enhance that value proposition. So basically like sitting in your utility account is all of this information about ultimately what's going on in your home now. What is our belief in terms of the, the kind of numbers and stats we project like we'll need this data. It's like your energy world is completely changing fundamentally and all the companies that are going to help you with that journey are going to need your utility data. Like I think it's extremely unlikely that most, if not all, consumers and businesses don't have three, four companies authenticating their utility account over the next 10 years. Yeah. Well, what do you have for sharing on the story of how we met and, and kind of the, the ways in which we worked together since then? Over a series of coffees here and there, we sort of unraveled this nest and um, you helped guide us to where we're at now. You know, like for sure we had real customers and an idea and had built some product, but um, earlier on, right, you're just trying to navigate the maze of what you could do given all the options. And um, you were just super helpful with that. Going from an idea and some customers and some product to, all right, this is our big macro idea, you know, plaid for utility data that we're going after. And here's like the right beachhead segment and the right positioning and how do we launch that? I, I can't speak enough to how helpful you've been. Thank you. It's been, it's been really fun to, to work with you on this. I think it's such a fundamental piece to solve. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to work on it. I think it's so important. As we look at next year, what are you excited about uh, for Bayou and for you in 2024? We're going to do instant utility data for 80 to 90% of the US by the end of the year. Like that's our goal. We're at about 30% now. And so I think it's very clear that that's a thing that at least the segment we're going after, kind of earlier stage softwares developers, like they want that and the market wants that. And so I'm incredibly excited to work up every day and make that a reality. We're looking for founding engineers to help us deliver on a lot of that product uh, for our early customers. And um, if you're an investor who's interested in what we're building um, and looking to potentially help capitalize that, we are looking for early partners in addition to Ben and Step Change to build out the team and capitalize on a lot of the growth that we um, are seeing in the market and already experiencing. Well, I am very excited for, for Bayou in 2024. So thank you, James. Thank you, Yoris and, and team for, for doing what you're doing. And next up, we have Dasha and Seth from the Line Build team. They're going to share their whole company story, but they're mid-pivot. So I want to thank them for being extra vulnerable as founders at this moment. I can kick us off. I'm Dasha. Um, I come from a background of being a product manager in primarily the risk and payment space. So um, Ben, obviously, you and I met working together at, at Stripe, um, but really have spent most of the last 10 years thinking about how do we take payments safely on the internet and uh, really wanted to transition into the climate space. Um, and Steph and I worked together at Airbnb back in the day. And so she and I started talking about this about a year ago. I'm Steph. I have also always worked in the risk and payment space. When I met Dasha, I was leading monetary risk at Airbnb. And since then, I've worked at a couple of companies doing something similar. 
what yanked you out of that into this world of climate? As someone who um, was paid to think about risk all day, every day, if you kind of take a step back and think about the biggest risks that we're facing, um, certainly climate is probably at the top of the list. Um, and so feeling um, that there were ways that I wanted to work more directly um, on it um, was really uh, what motivated me. Climate change and climate risk is something that I had been passionate about in my personal life and, and over time realized that it was something I wanted to focus on in my professional life. Where did you go from there, right, with all the kind of background and skill sets that, that you had coming into it? Steph and I are both kind of data-driven people, so we pulled out the like pie chart of emissions and basically started to say, okay, well, what? where is there a lot of juice to squeeze? Mm -hmm. We're not hardware um, folks. We're not kind of the deep tech going to decarbonize cement. Um, but we are really good at thinking about things like uh, systems at scale or deploying or financial instruments and things like that, um, which landed us pretty quickly into the buildings and built environment space because one huge share of global energy consumption. Um, and then two, a lot of the technology, right, you know, the heat pumps, the insulation, et cetera, has already been created. So we were like, well, why isn't this happening faster? What, what can we do to accelerate it? We really wanted to just do a lot of user research. Um, and so our first goal was to try to talk to 100 people in three weeks. We ended up talking to about 200 people in four weeks. So depending on how you slice that OKR, we either achieved it or, or didn't. We just were starting to ask what were the hair on fire type problems and then kind of narrowing in from there. And speaking with all these folks, it was clear that the technology was out there, right? There was amazing heat pumps and hot water heaters, uh, but there was an Adoption was the problem. Like, how do we get people to adopt it? Cost was the biggest barrier for folks. We knew the IRA was coming. There was already funding coming through the utilities, cities. So every there was money flowing through. How do we connect homeowners um, to this funding that's available in order to make building decarbonization more affordable for them? If we can make the project, you know, cheaper for the homeowner, um, then they're more likely to do it. The overarching thing that we found was like, we could provide a really great user experience for identifying the incentives. We could have some control over the application, but then once that application was handed over to the program administrator, that's where we lost control. And that's where most of the friction was happening. And so we ended up as essentially the messenger between the program administrator and our customer. And they look to us, right? With that user experience is poor, they look to us, but we don't have control over that experience once that application is sent over to that program administrator. Oh yeah, that sounds messy. So once you hit that point, it sounds like you kind of realized that the product wasn't going to work anymore. How did it feel to come to that realization? It took us a moment, I think, to like grieve <laughs> that concept because we had some traction, right? We had customers. We were working with one of uh, the largest distributors in the U.S. From different angles, it looked like it was working. And so we had to come to terms with the fact that we weren't building a product that we were going to be proud of. And so that took us a moment. And then just to say, okay, we're going to shut things down. Where do we go from there? Luckily, we had a conference scheduled to go to with that focused on renewable energy. And so it sort of got us excited again about like what we could be doing in a different side of the space. And that's sort of where we've been for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things that has informed our process since doing that is I think we did a really great job of like user discovery early on and talking to a lot of folks, but we missed on a couple of critical questions that we're really orienting ourselves around now, including things like, for example, willingness to pay. We're doing a lot of stakeholder discovery and have figured out how to ask some of the, the like 
right questions, but we haven't quite nailed out the exact here is the thing that we feel really confident about. So a little bit of a stay tuned. How do you think about the fintech to climate world kind of career transition for folks, right? If someone's listening, maybe some of our past colleagues at Stripe and Plaid and Airbnb. As far as skill set, it's transferable. You can use yeah. whatever skill set you have will benefit the industry some way, somehow. In general, you know, if you've built high performance systems or have talked to APIs, you know, regardless of the skill set, I think there's a lot of transferability here. Before we wrap up, curious if you're up for sharing the story of working with the Step Change crew. Yeah, I think like one of the things that we found, you know, most beneficial is folks that can help like pattern match and can help ask some of those critical questions to shortcut the learnings. I think that is um, what we found really valuable. And so I think that sometimes I know, Ben, we've just jumped on the phone with you to just be like, let us walk you through what we think and then have you ask a lot of questions to make sure like we have real clarity of thought because it's easy to be in your own bubble. Um, so I think that that's been, you know, tremendously useful. Thank you so much, Dasha and Steph. I'm really excited to see where you where you land next. And last up, we have Mish from Rhizome Data. Sure thing, Ben, and thanks for having me. So my name is Mish Thadani. Uh, I'm the CEO of Rhizome. And I've, you know, been in the energy sector for, for 12 years and done everything from utility scale, wind and solar development, getting down into distributed energy resources and how to build those at scale and what policies and regulations need to change. So I dealt a lot with state and federal uh, regulatory and legislative bodies uh, on, on scaling those types of technologies. Uh, and then coming to Rhizome after getting really uh, very interested in the artificial intelligence space and how utilities themselves as being one of the backbones of society. And, and of course, if, if we're going to fight this climate battle, then we need to be working directly with utilities. But how they're transforming digitally to really enable that uh, clean energy transition and also help increase the reliability and resilience of the system in the process. And I found a really big gap in how utilities are planning for climate change from a resilience standpoint. That is, you know, as extreme weather events are getting more frequent and severe, everything from wildfires to winter storms to hurricanes and tropical storms, um, utilities are getting and their system is getting more and more risky to operate and is having much more consequence for their customers, many of whom are vulnerable and actually experience real health and safety issues from these extreme weather events. And so I came across an idea for a platform and independently, my co-founder Rahul simultaneously was thinking along the same lines on how to really leverage climate data in combination with other types of data sets like utility data sets and uh, vegetation, topography to really uh, consolidate all that information together and bring forth some models that can autonomously quantify risk over the long term on utility assets and really help them plan uh, for the future of extreme weather and making sure that they can withstand those those events when they occur. It's, it seems like if we don't invest tremendously, we, we're going to just have to get used to a lot more outages, which is which is deeply problematic even with our current load. But then if we think about how going forward, our transportation is going to be based on the grid, our you know ability to heat and cool our homes is increasingly based on the grid. It's, it's kind of like a double hit from that perspective. So we've gone decades under investing in the grid and therefore are more susceptible to power outages when any sort of you know mild weather event occurs. You're here as a startup trying to sell a platform to utilities, yep. but ultimately you're at the whim of kind of the incentives in the system. Why all of a sudden might the incentives be changing there? 
the way to really do that is to give utilities uh, vehicles for investing and financing in projects that reinforce the grid. And the federal government has taken a lot of leadership um, with regard to this in passing the infrastructure bill, funneling $11 billion directly to electric utilities uh, for grid resilience purposes. And then, of course, get more reporting from the utility, get more data. Uh, and of course, we're, we're very much interested in data as, as being an AI company working in this space. We have been validating our models with some of our early utility customers and basically starting to generate the correlations and the patterns and even sometimes can build a causal model around some climate hazard and the probability that a utility asset will fail as a result of that hazard. And so what we're trying to do right now with our early customers is validate uh, uh, those models and see if we can get high fidelity enough models to be predictive in how a utility prioritizes their investments. I think when we first met, I was like, this is a really interesting space to me, but I know relatively nothing when it comes to to the customer set. I'm the opposite of career from you in terms of background and you know not coming from the energy world. Why work with us? First of all, I think it's worth giving a, a major shout out to Adam Bezvenik at Looking Glass Capital, who is our lead investor who introduced us. And I got into the software space about a little less than five years ago, right? I had a pure play energy background. And there's a lot that I still have to learn about how to scale a software company, how to make sure all the pieces fit together. And having folks like yourself who've spent their entire career in tech, we are building a product at the end of the day where the product resources that are going into that roadmap are both for me with the utility experience and my co-founder Rahul with an extremely strong, deep technical experience, but we don't have a core product function today. So what I really look forward to, and I think you, this will probably resonate with you, is that you know the three of us combined can come up with at least even a smattering of a product org. I think that's right. And I, I'm excited about that. And there's just a lot to unpack and do. And you're one of those enterprise products where your customers are just going to be hungry for, for more and more and more. And last question, because I think you're being humble about this. When a lot of people say like working with pilot customers, doing discovery, they assume that it's a pre-revenue business. Does Rhizome have any revenue? We sure do. We have been able to show that we can work with utilities effectively and provide them with some near-term value, basically bring them insights that they've never seen before uh, related to extreme weather and their impacts on the grid. And yes, and we have uh, even been able to skip some of our, what we thought would be kind of this, this entire pilot period, right, where we just pilot with, say, several utilities, and then we start selling um, you know, actual SaaS contracts um, on a multi-year basis, I'm very proud to say have started working the full-scale software deployment on, on a major utility uh, in the South that is really mostly due to the fact that both Rahul and I have the experiences that we have. It's, it's very impressive. And, and as a, both an investor and someone who started a SaaS business before, um, shortly after you closed your pre-seed, you have more revenue than many people ever achieve in their startup. So congratulations to you guys on, on most importantly, building something that customers actually really want that is, is really impactful. Thanks. I, I appreciate that. And you know, it's, it's mostly due to the fact that we really care about this issue. And I think utilities get a, a, a lot of rap for um, not doing enough, right, in decarbonization, not doing enough to invest in innovation. But ultimately, if you understand their pain points and you can come to them with solutions that fit their mold, then, then that's where you start to make real progress. Thanks, Mish. Well, that was four of the companies that we've been working with since Step Change got started just a couple months ago. 
and we have a couple of other collaborations that we're not quite ready to announce just yet. For the last part of the episode, I have a couple of conversations with other venture collaborators and a couple of folks that have invested in the fund to give you their perspective on what we're up to. And then we'll close out. To start, let me welcome Arif from Bain Capital Ventures. Sure. My name is Arif. I'm a partner at Bain Capital Ventures and focused on investing in early stage tech companies. So I'm originally from Pakistan. I grew up in England. I moved to Silicon Valley to be an entrepreneur and started two software companies over a 10-year period that worked out reasonably well. And then I became an investor first at Sequoia and now in Bain. And I've been watching climate for a long time. In, initially felt, you know, in the 2000s, 2010s, even while always urgent as a need, it wasn't suited to venture investment because of the nature of the projects that, that climate demanded, the capital requirements, the financing needs, the types of companies. But I I feel that's changed in the past few years. The, the types of opportunities are ones where venture capital is now, I feel, the, the right way of supporting those businesses, whereas before it was not. And is it something particular kind of in, in the underlying technology landscape that you think has shifted or? So what's not different is the urgent need. We're emitting 40 to 50 gigatons of carbon a year. We need to get to zero by mid-century, if not sooner. And mitigation technologies have progressed significantly such that today, I think technology is available to mitigate 60 to 70%, maybe more of all the carbon that we're putting into the atmosphere. That technology exists today. So that's what's different. What hasn't happened is all that technology has not been rolled out into the real world and people are not using it. And the friction involved is significant, but that's where technology can really help. And that's really the the big opportunity, I think, for venture capital is to enable the deployment and the rollout of what exists already. Could you say a little bit more about what the strategy is with investing in funds? We, We want to support the ecosystem. One of the ways that we seek to do that is by supporting like-minded people who um, share our perspectives on markets by trying to empower them by being an anchor LP as they start their initial first small fund. We look for talented either individuals or partnerships looking to deploy small amounts of capital we invest in those funds and we look to work closely with those managers. And that was a context in which we came across Step Change where we really felt a strong affinity for you, Ben, in terms of, well, just on so many levels, in terms of your thesis, the way that you approach things, the way you think about things. The fact that you're full-time committed to this is not some you know, extracurricular activity that's primarily to brag at cocktail parties. It's, it's a real thing that you're doing. And that's why we're Partly why we're so thrilled to be able to to support you and hope that we'll get to to team up on things. Maybe to end on, like, what do you think of as Bain's potential superpowers, and in particular, kind of in the in the large realm of climate related? Yeah, our superpower is really connecting new technologies and imaginative founders with the real economy and with traditional industry, and that is very relevant to climate. A lot of what climate is about is doing just that. New approaches, new ideas, new technologies, but connecting that with the real economy that we live in. And and that is our superpower. Yeah, that's, well, that's huge. I'm really excited to work with you and work with everyone at Bain you know, in that capacity and helping, those, helping the companies we find to do exactly that. We're thrilled as well and very excited for the future of Step Change and 
grateful to be able to, to partner with you as a, as a thought partner, as a co-investor. Thank you, RF. And now I'd like to welcome Julie from Pioneer Square Labs up here in Seattle. I'm Julie Sandler. I'm one of the managing directors at Pioneer Square Labs and a co-founding general partner at PSL Ventures. As you can tell, we are two things here at PSL. We're both a startup studio as well as a pre-seed and seed stage focused venture fund. Most of our investments have touched themes of software, AI, even digital at large. As new themes and opportunities emerge in the landscape, being able to get smart quickly to be able to make an informed investment is also an existential need of ours. And part of that you know, comes down to meeting great people who have depth of experience, expertise, and savvy in emerging sectors, whether we co-invest with them, whether we work with them uh, in an advisory capacity. And I think climate over the course of the past year has been not only a great example of that, but Ben Idelson and Step Change have been, you know, top of my list as far as individuals and organizations that I want to connect with when looking at new opportunities in this ever-changing and exciting area. Tactically, how do you think about how we collaborate in an ideal world and the types of things you hope we, we get to do together over the next couple of years? I am so excited and grateful for the birth of Step Change, both in this region and in the world in general. From you know a, a personal mission perspective, I'm always thinking about the founder. How can I best serve the founder, whether I'm formally involved in the company as a board member, as an investor, as an advisor, or even just meeting with somebody who's looking for great people and resources to bring around their table. The list of superstars in climate in this region, and I would argue in general, is very short. And you have been you know, at the top of my list for that um, for a long time now. So just out of pure service to the next generation of founders, having step change in the world, doing what you're doing is just a gift at the best possible moment, given all the opportunity at this moment of inflection across different domains that touch themes in climate tech. How long have you been operating as an investor? Almost 13 years. Almost 13 years. Okay. And I've been, you know, full-time investor in this dimension um, on the order of five months. I find your questions and thoughtfulness and just way of engaging with founders to be something I'm learning a lot from. So I'm really excited to keep learning from you and the folks at PSL. It's just incredible to sit on the same side of the table with you and looking at new companies and supporting our existing portfolio companies that touch upon themes in climate tech. Uh, I hope so much that we will get the chance to continue to not only look at opportunities together, but actively co-invest together. One of the things that I've loved about looking at companies with you is how you as an investor are able to look at an opportunity holistically. Of course, you are brilliant at analyzing a market and understanding the role that a company can play therein. But what I particularly appreciate about you is the fact that you're able to connect with a founder, build relationship with that person, but also have a great take on how that founder might operate over the first couple of years from what they're savvy about and 
the unknowns they're not yet aware of. You look at an opportunity in a people-oriented way too. And I appreciate that, especially knowing how quickly this landscape is changing and how nimble so many of these founders will have to be to adapt. You are, I think, people-oriented just as a human being in your ethos and how you approach relationships. And you make me so much smarter in assessing talent in a sector where I'm very much riding a learning curve. Um, so it's been just a joy um, and a learning opportunity for me to see how you approach um, those very moments as an investor. Our happiness at work is not just what we're working on, but actually is more like who we're working with and how we're working with them. And so finding the founders that we get to work with in that capacity, I think like is such a joy. And then finding the co-investors that we might get to work with in that capacity is such a joy. So thank you for being a big bright spot there. And I'm hoping we get to spend a lot, a lot of time together this year. I am so looking forward to it. And I will tell you every time I introduce a founder to you and or Arthur to step change in general, you will make me look so good <laughs> for having made that introduction. And it always feels fabulous to hear from founders following uh, on uh, a meeting with you, just how grateful they are uh, to have the chance to connect with you, irrespective of where that actual where investment is. And likewise. The, the reverse is very much true. So thank you so much, Julie. And for our very last guest, we have a dear friend and LP on the fund. Welcome, Mark. My name is Mark Bridge. I am the founder and CEO of At Present. We are an online discovery platform for the world's best jewelry. You can think about it as Etsy meets Barney's. I am a friend of Ben's. I am delighted to be an investor in the fund. And Ben has been a champion and supporter and advisor of me, uh, both personally and professionally for a long time. How did you go about deciding to found a company? I have spent my life in the jewelry business. I spent the first 35 years in a five-generation family legacy retail business and uh, decided to leave that business instead of take it over about five years ago and decided to start something of my own. And I knew the industry extraordinarily well, but I knew nothing about startups. I knew next to nothing about technology, have had to learn along the way. I had the great pleasure of meeting Ben early in that journey and he has been a little bit of my guru as we have built on what are we aiming for at each juncture, uh, what kinds of things to pay great attention to, what kinds of things to ignore entirely. And Ben has sort of been my coach and my champion and my butt kicker along the way. Other than maybe Anna and a couple of people, you know, really involved in the internals of the fund, you've probably been the closest to seeing my journey and seeing my transition into climate and seeing the standing up of both the climate papa and angel investing and now the fund, what's been your perspective on all of that? My wife, Julia, and I talk often about the short list of people who we would support unequivocally in whatever it is that they are doing because we just have such deep belief in the way in which they operate in the world. Um, and you are unquestionably on that list. You invest in things if you think that they have a potential for you know, sustained competitive return over time. 
you invest in the kinds of things that you want to see in the world, and you invest in the people that you want to be successful. And so, you know, there is a part of our portfolio that we think about as sort of the risk capital portion. And so certainly for us, it was a no-brainer to invest in you. And then it made so much sense what it is that you're working on, because it's just so consistent with the things that you are thinking about individually, the things that you are thinking about professionally, um, and the things that you're thinking about globally. It just makes so much sense as something that has the opportunity to get outsized returns. Investing in software in what I'm convinced is going to be one of the top, I don't know, two or three market spaces in the world over the next 50 years makes an enormous amount of sense. I know that that transformation is going to take place, and I have a high degree of confidence that software is going to be key to it, and software is the greatest business model that has ever been developed. That seems like a natural combination for in what part of the world do you expect to see outsized returns from what kind of business? All right, th that makes sense to me. Have you always kind of had this risk capital bucket in your investing? In my personal portfolio, you know, the majority of my assets are in very large legacy public equities, and there's very little in the middle. Either something is there because you want to have confidence that if the world blows up tomorrow, you will still be able to send your kids to college, or that when something hits, it's going to be you know a, a material increase of value. It's just really hard to do anything unique, you know, within the universe of public markets. Um, whereas in this more fluid, more opaque, we actually do have the capacity to bring things into the world. And you can make a decision on a daily basis, do I want this thing to have the capacity to succeed or not? And so there are levers to your ability to have impact. Th that's how I think about impact investing. You know, we can choose the sorts of entrepreneurs who we want to bet on. Yeah. We can choose the sort of solutions that they are working on. You know, I don't have to go out and make some con you know, conviction that on the margin, I'm sure this is making a difference. Right. Right. You, you know it. that it's making a difference. Yeah. I wrote a check so that somebody could quit their job at big tech company and tackle th this really important problem. That that is meaningful. That is a marginal change that you can put your finger on. That, you know, I don't know. That that's sort of the step change. Yep. Right. It it's another reason why I'm so excited about you doing this and seeing the whole cohort of people who are making this transition. When you think about climate outside of the investing, just just like where's your psychology been over the last few years when it comes to climate change? So I think that historically my two paths were either depression or denial. And neither of those are productive and neither of those are satisfactory very long term. But otherwise, it just gets very bleak very quickly. And so one of the things that's so encouraging about all of the work that's happening in the space and the work that hopefully the fund will enable is there are ways to tackle these problems that don't involve closing your eyes and wishing for a different reality that acknowledge, okay, this is, this is where we are. And that's the starting point. 
And I think rather than spending a lot of time in shame and recrimination on how did we get here and what, you know, degrees of irresponsibility have led to this, you know, we take the present as the starting point and we go from there. I think that you are uniquely positioned to do this. I will speak for myself in saying that the entrepreneurs that have the opportunity to work with you will uh, be enormously blessed by an extraordinarily high level of both, you know, emotional and intellectual intelligence on on your part. There are people that you are happy to have on your cap table and there are people that you should run to to have on your cap table and you are decidedly in the latter category. So I think that is an advantage both for the fund and for for the entrepreneurs that you will work for going forward. So delighted to be a part of this and so excited to see how it develops and the, the world and the tribe that comes from it because I think that great things will manifest thereof. Thank you. Grateful for you. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on episode 16 of Climate Papa, the step change episode. Um, in thinking about this, getting a fund off the ground, it's it's not like getting a startup off the ground and that it's not, you don't have that same existential product market fit level challenge. But I've been surprised how much it is more like that than not. And um, it's definitely... It's definitely the thing I've been waking up in the morning thinking about and going to bed thinking about not just this launch week, but also the kind of months leading up to this. I do think we're on to something here. And putting this together over the last week and having these conversations really has given me a boost. It's reminded me that I'm not the only one who thinks that it, that we're on to something here, but just the, the amazing people that have that kind of hitched onto the ride. And most significantly, the founders who we're building this relationship with for, for a decade plus. It just, it's... It's really meaningful. It it feels like the beginning of something really, really special. And I'm just I'm grateful to to anyone that's listened this far, and and grateful to everyone um, who showed up to help me get this get this train going. And like we said earlier in the conversation, if something here was of interest to you, either if you're founding a company and you think based on what you heard we might be a fit, we'd love to meet. And we're also on track to close the fund pretty soon. So if this really struck a chord with you and you want to talk more, please do shoot me a note. It's just Ben at stepchange.vc. And as always, our theme music is the Balkan Bump remix of Mellow Kind of Hype, a song by Lazy Serp Orchestra and Slink. It is our podcast tradition to have them take us out. On we go like...